On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, it is time for the brightest conversation in Hamilton podcasting, as we do once a week, every week, and this week, a very special guest to go through many of the best, most interesting, most wacky, and most newsworthy issues of the week, a guy we've wanted to have here forever, because he's on the radio all the time. We're joined today by Rick Zamperin. Stick around and enjoy. Lots coming up. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. In studio with Rick Zamperin. Familiar voice here on 900 CHML, but first time on the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. Glad to have him along. Rick, there was a story this week uh, from Hamilton, from Hamilton City Council that's been going on for a while now, and it is the story about Aberdeen Avenue and speed limits. Yes. And for those who don't know what this story is, like so many things at Hamilton City Council, it appears that there is a division between the suburban councillors and the downtown councillors about mm-hmm. what the speed limit should be along Aberdeen. And those who are in the down, those who are downtown councillors seem to want to reduce it to 40. They want to add parking on both sides of the street. They want no right turns on red. Yeah. Essentially make Aberdeen... Is it overstating it to say it make as make it as impassable as possible? Almost that would not be deter traffic. Yes, De- deter traffic, and that's and that's basically what they want. Not necessarily deter traffic, but improve pedestrian safety and cyclist cyclist yep. safety, uh, especially around. And, and these these proposals would be, basically roll around <clears throat> the hours of school time. So right. when kids are going to school and when they're coming out of school, so in and around you know eight to nine and uh, you know three to four, those, those kind of time frames. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, which happens also to be rush hour. Yes. Yeah. Smack dab in the middle of it. And, uh, I take Aberdeen virtually every day. Uh, I'm on the mountain, come down Queen street Hill or one of the other accesses. And eventually I'll find my way on Aberdeen, you know, just come up Longwood and right beside the radio station. And here I am. Um, <clears throat> right now it's, it's, it is an extreme, not an extremely slow street, but it is a street where you can't really whip down, especially in rush hour because there's a lot of traffic already. So the impact of reducing the speed limit during those times, I think, will be negligible. I think the issue, though, is increasing parking on those streets because now you have kids who should not be going, you know, in between cars or cyclists doing what they shouldn't be doing. Uh, I think that is the bigger issue is that parking along those uh, busy times along that street is going to be the, the big problem. Well, parking and the no right turn. So you can't even and get off too. if yeah. you're on. you got to wait till a, re- a green light. Exactly. And, you know, anyone who's driven along Aberdeen knows... Uh, the light at Locke is not terrible, but when you get to uh, Dundurn, Dundurn Street, yeah. you can be sitting there for a while. And yeah. if no one can turn, there's only going to be a certain number of cars. It's it's going to be very, very slow. And let's not forget, you know, the crosswalk rules here in Ontario, too, at intersections. If there is a green light and people are crossing, you have to wait until that person gets across the street. And, you know, uh, around those uh, school entry and dismissal times, there's going to be a lot of kids, you know, walking the street, too. So it's virtually even on a green, you, you won't be able to turn right. And there's one other factor that I think has sort of been forgotten about, or at least not mentioned very much, and that is we are still talking about LRT. And at some point, if the LRT does get built, that's going to push traffic off King Street mm-hmm. somewhere else, yep. onto Maine and probably onto Aberdeen. Yep. And now you add even more traffic now into right. this. The other thing to think about, too, and <clears throat> Councillor Lloyd Ferguson made this uh, comment in the, in the committee meeting earlier this week is, Uh, Coming the other way, so not necessarily going towards the 403, but uh, in that afternoon rush hour period when people are coming down the Ancaster Hill and are getting off the highway and onto Aberdeen, you're going to have a glut of cars coming the other way towards, you know, some of the mountain accesses like Queen Street Hill and whatnot. Uh, I mean, that is really going to cause some chaos, I think. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that you can put any speed limit on any street. If there's not police officers there to enforce it, it really doesn't mean anything. Well, and even if there is, we just heard this week that Red Hill Creek, two-thirds of drivers still Speed. are speeding. Yeah. But here's the, here, so, okay, I wanted to set that up for people who maybe hadn't heard that story this week. Maybe some people have been following it very closely. But here's the, the thing that always I wonder about. The story that the spec has says, residents urged their counselors, including at the time, Ward 1 Counselor Brian McCaddy, to make roads safer for cyclists and pedestrians. Hmm. So this sounds like it is being driven by the residents of the area. Mm-hmm. If you move into that area, do you not know what the speed limit is and what the circumstances are? Yeah, you should. So do you... You you, know what you're buying. 
That's my question. So if you move next to the airport and then complain yeah. about the fact that there's planes <laughs> flying overhead, people say, come yeah. on, you bought a house at the airport. If mm-hmm. you buy a house on Dundurn or right there, should you not say part of buying that house is knowing that that's where I'm yeah. living and working and walking and traveling? Yeah. So the flip side of that and the devil's advocate in me will say, <clears throat> you know, there's probably a lot of longtime homeowners there who've been in those houses for a long, long time and they haven't seen the traffic volumes that they're seeing now, and maybe now are complaining that, hey, we got to slow things down because there's too many cars on the road. There are a lot of kids on this street now going to and from school, and there's a lot more cyclists on the road. Uh, we got to make some changes. So, I mean, that might be the flip side. But I get your point. Yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting into. If you are new to the area, it seems to me that it's a, I don't want to use the word disingenuous, but right. again, if you bought something, you surely before you bought a house, you investigated. Yep. You didn't just see the house and go, oh, I don't care. And if you bought the house knowing that that's what it was, that to me seems like that's what you bought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, when I bought my house on the mountain, I looked at the neighborhood and I thought, okay, what's the speed limit like? Where are the major intersections? What is the traffic volume like? No different than you would look at, you know, crime and-, and Water pressure in yeah, your taps and whether you can get radio reception. I even looked at that when I was- Very there. important. No, I, I did. <laughs> I actually did. I wanted to see if I was going to get static from some thing nearby. I mean, I want to be able to listen. But anyway, yeah, yeah. not just Aberdeen, I don't think. Uh, certainly we've seen the Red Hill Creek Expressway speed limit be lower. There's a yes, lot of- a lot of discussion, a lot of pressure, a lot of pushing, a lot of people arguing that speed limits everywhere should be reduced around this city. At the same time, we have a stretch of the QEW that's going to go up to 110 come the fall. So who who is right then? Because, you know, the, the, the government, the provincial government, love them or hate them, but they're getting advice that 110 yeah. offers some safety mechanisms because if you're driving that speed, then... Whatever. And then we've got people saying, you know, there should be spots in the city at school districts, school areas where it should be 30. And I'm looking going, who's right? Mm -hmm. Well, on the highway situation, I'll say this. Uh, No matter what you do, you're still going to get those individuals who push the limits of their uh, vehicles. So you're you're still going to get those 150, 160 kilometer per hour plus morons, basically. And that's what they are because that's way too fast. Um, but it seems like, especially in that stretch of the QEW between uh, Stony Creek and, and St. Catharines, the speed limit seems to be 120. I mean, if you're not going that, you're, you're definitely in the right-hand lane. Uh, so hiking it to 110, does that, in the mindset of the driver, you know, ultimately say, okay, now that the speed limit's 110, I can go 130? You know, that's going to be socially acceptable, if that's the phrase. Um, but in terms of city streets... I mean, I guess the question is, how slow can you go? Because once you get to a certain speed, it's not really worth driving anymore. And is that and the city's that, goal? That's what I wonder. And and I don't think it's the city's goal per se, but I think there are people in the city that would like to see that, that would oh, like yeah, to see question. almost all cars yeah. bumped off the streets and we just become a, a public transit cyclist pedestrian city. Right. The problem I have with that is the, the philosophy of it in certain neighborhoods, fine. I mean, if you live downtown and work downtown and do everything downtown within a four block radius, great. Yeah. But we do, our city is not designed for that. If you live in Flamborough yeah. and they want you to ever come downtown, you're not walking, you're probably not cycling mm-hmm. and rap, or rapid transit, uh, public transit is not rapid. Yeah. It's not no, getting not, not you here in yet, the same day. <laughs> Here's the other thing to think about, too. <clears throat> how many how many tens of thousands of people in this city commute? So they're going to the Oakvilles, the Mississaugas, the Torontos. Uh, we had, in 2017, a monumental boost in terms of real estate. And a big push in that was that the GTA buyer, those people in Mississauga, Oakville, Toronto, uh, were thinking, wow, we're going to cash into these soaring house prices and we'll sell our million-dollar homes in Toronto and get a, a great house in Hamilton for four fifty, five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand. Pocket the rest. Now we have all these GTA people who still work in the GTA now commuting too. So, yeah, in certain neighborhoods, I can clearly see a forty. When we have them in the North End, forty kilometer per hour speed limits, and that's fine. But when you're talking about, and I consider Aberdeen maybe not a major street, but it is a street that connects you to the highway. It is a street that connects you to important places in this city. Uh, uh, you know, it's a vital kind of artery, even though it might not be in the artery 
uh, you know, subtext in terms of how you, you plan a city. But it's a it's a pretty important road in this city. Well, and it's going to, bl- as you said, if you reduce it and you put the parking on both sides to what will whittle it down to one lane each, each direction lane. now yeah. and no right turns. I mean, you're going to be it, it is going to have the impact of blocking cars getting off the highway onto Aberdeen, getting to the highway, getting down from the mountain. It, it is going to be. There's going to be a ripple effect. This is the butterfly effect. Yeah. It's not just that street that will be affected. It's a major choke, choke point. And anyone who takes the Queen Street Hill uh, between, let's say, 7 and 9 in the morning or 4 and 6 in the afternoon, and, you know, there's some moments uh, throughout the week, give and take, you know, you can add another 30 minutes here and there. But it is, it takes a while to get up and down because there are so many vehicles and, and more so down than up. Um, but the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> if they do what they want to do, or they're planning to, or at least talking about doing on Aberdeen, think about the ri- the ripple effect here. So now you're going to have people saying, you know what, I'm not going to use this street anymore. I'm going to use the West Fifth Hill. I'm going to use the James Street Hill. And that may the be the goal. Cut. And that may be the goal too, but that is now going to put more pressure on those areas which are already clogged up. We only have a minute or so left here, but let me throw out this other quote by Maureen Wilson, who... Um And I don't know if this is a fair quote or not. And a lot of people loved it. And so they would certainly say it is. Our children come first or your five minutes of commuting. The health and well-being of our children should come first. I'm I'm getting fatigued, honestly, with politicians who anytime anything is going to be done, go, people are going to die. In this one, uh, look, I'm not going to argue that there are not children along here. And she may be right. The only issue I would have is I think that when you just say your five minutes, I think it's going to create more than just my or your five minutes. This, yes. as you say, is going to ripple across the entire area. Yeah, time's up area. by a few thousand. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lot of people. You know what the answer is? They just have to build another mountain access. That'll lighten the load. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, I mean, it would work. It would work. It would work. I don't know if there's an answer. I mean, <laughs> what if you were to... Legitimately, what if you were to put barriers up, like in the bike lanes, but along the sidewalk, so that kids and people could walk safely along the sidewalk without a... Because here's the other problem. If you're going to have extra parking now on that street, now you got to have bike lanes as well. Now now do you even have room for cars? You have no room. And all those measures come with a cost too. Whereas lowering the speed limit, you don't have to spend any money, uh, apart from new signs. It's, I mean, it's a difficult one. I, nobody wants kids hit by a car. Nobody does. And nobody right. wants people driving along there at 90. That's not it either. But I, I do wonder sometimes, and I'm not even talking about Councillor Wilson, I, I just in general, if we are not in some ways pushing to make certain parts of the city undrivable on purpose. Yeah. Even though no one will say that directly, or probably not, maybe some will, but it, it, it feels like that sometimes. I'd love to see the stats on that street in terms of speed and crashes and stuff. Well, the spec story says over a 13-year period from 2003 to 2018, there have been 18 pedestrian-related collisions on Aberdeen. What that doesn't say is, were there injuries? Was it serious? Did the car hit the pedestrian yeah, or did the pedestrian walk into the car? There's, there's so many questions about this, but there were 18. So let's say roughly one a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, one a year is too many, but is one a year an exceptional number? Yeah, no fatalities. I don't know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, Rick Zamprin. Yes. We are an hour or two or whatever it is away from the NHL draft. And of course, this leads to lots of trade talk. Who is being connected to the Leafs? One P.K. Subban is being connected to the Maple Leafs and... From what we understand, one other team, that being another Canadian team, the Vancouver Canucks. In the mix. Wow. At least two teams. So, I mean, nothing is imminent. We're not saying that PK is being traded to Toronto, but there is uh, speculation around the draft floor in Vancouver Yeah, tonight. there are actual, actual reports, not just like Twitter yeah, exactly. people in yeah, their basement. These aren't people in their basement saying, yeah, hey, you know what the Leafs should do? They should get PK Subban. No, these are... Bonafide reporters who get paid to do what they do, reporting that uh, the Leafs uh, have indeed investigated um, whether or not Nashville would be willing to part ways with uh, Mr. Subban. <clears throat> Obviously would be an upgrade, a big upgrade for the Leafs' blue line, because we all know that uh, Jake Gardner's 
in all likelihood not going to resign with Toronto unless they move some other pieces to free up cap space, but they simply won't be able to afford him. You know, he makes four and change. He's going to get well north of six or maybe even seven. I mean, there's going to be a team out there that's going to dish out that kind of money. And the Leafs will be getting papal dispensation to have a higher salary cap than everyone else in the league <laughs> by $20 million yes. so that they can get all these guys that are being talked about. Uh, because this is the this is the interesting thing, that it would require a big trade going away again. Correct. Because we'll see. Anyway, if anything were to happen, we will tell you instantly. Mm-hmm. Boy, if anything were to happen, though, that would be a... Uh, that would be interesting because again, somebody big would have to go. So yeah, I mean, the Leafs only have just under eight million dollars in cap space. Mitch Marner is asking, obviously, for big dollars. They already signed John Tavares and Austin Matthews to enormous dollars, and now, they're not being 11, traded. And they're not being traded. They're both eleven million plus. You know, Willie Nylander is just south of seven mil. So whether it's Nylander or Marner. Or, you know, Connor Brown's name has been kind of hot in trade speculation. Um, one of those guys is going to have to be part of a package to bring a Subban to Toronto. If, yeah, and, if and, it happens. It, yeah. And, and every time these kind of things happen, I always feel like if we know about it with the Leafs lately, they're so tight-lipped. If we know about it, it's probably not going to happen. Right. But yeah. it's a, re- boy, when this started going on Twitter based on this report, and it was from uh, Elliot Friedman from, mm-hmm. from Sports, I mean, respected journalist yep. you go huh well and if you're a Leafs fan now you're now, now you're, you're dreaming intrigued. now you're, you're in dreamland intrigued. right until the Vancouver Canucks get them <laughs> exactly <laughs> and it's even more reason to hate the Canucks uh by the way I almost blurted something out and almost got caught because as we were talking right a story broke about what happened the Leafs a Pierre Lebrun <laughs> tweet came across oh I haven't been paying attention to Twitter while you're. Yes, well, a, a tweet came across, and it says official: oh. the Leafs, Toronto Leafs, have traded Mitch Marner and William Melander to Nashville Predators in return for PK Subban and Victor Arvidsson. And then I looked, and I think, oh, there's only 900 followers. This is a fake account. <laughs> Not true. <sighs> yeah, stand down. You had me there. Stand down. It's I got a picture of of Pierre LeBrun. It's got oh, the whole deal. These trollers. Uh, these trollers. And then I looked at his name at underscore Ryan eighty one. Uh, that would not be. <laughs> so what's Pierre that trade LeBrun. again? I'm just. Yeah, it was it was uh, Marner and Nylander for PK Subban and Arvidsson. Wow. I almost gasped for a moment and then. Wow. This is the. That's not going to happen. This is the problem with social media. Yes. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There was a story out this week that uh, everybody, I think CHML may have run this one in the news. You you can tell me. You were the guy who did the news. But yeah. everybody jumped on this because it had all the elements of one of those stories that people go, huh? Do the Scooby-Doo? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, everyone's <laughs> going, huh? Uh, kids are growing horns on their head from their <laughs> iPhone use. Did you guys use this? Yeah, yeah. Scott Thompson did his uh, All right. commentary on this too. And it's that's, a, that, that's the only body part we know that they're growing. I'm sure there's <laughs> other things happening. Well, I'm I'm frankly way more concerned about like brain cancer or yeah. something. I'm still waiting for you know 15 years from now they're going to say, oh, by the way, those phones they were all emitting radiation mm. and you're all dying. But, okay, so you get the headline of kids growing horns on their head. What could possibly be a better lead to go into a story? And everyone, as I say, goes, really? Wow. And they talk about it with their friends. And then you dive into it a little more. And it's not quite that. Yeah. They are technically, as the Washington Post writes, technically they are enlarged external occipital protuberances. Doesn't sound as sexy. <laughs> Horn is better than that. Yeah. Uh, and their bone spurs, essentially, is what they're describing that. So my question is this, and it's not CHML, certainly, because every radio station did this, every TV mm. station did it, every newspaper did it. Right. Why are we such suckers for a great, ridiculous headline? I don't know. I think it's no, it's no different than a lead line in a radio news story. Is that, that first line is to capture the interest of the listener. And uh, we don't necessarily embellish it, but we try to make it as creative sure. uh, with a unique twist to hook the listener. So it would be no different than, yeah, a newspaper or magazine uh, or, or a website headline. You know, now read this. Except the difference is, yeah. and I'm with you, and I'm not trying to let us off the hook. I, there was a story in the Burlington Post this week that the spec ran that I loved. It was about a theft of a huge amount of Viagra. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. The, the story was <laughs> that police are looking for a hardened criminal. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Um, Great line. But it's one thing for the media to put something on 
there that's going to get your attention. But this came from a medical journal of some kind. Right. So they have put the word horns on yeah. this thing. I think they were looking for clickbait. Well. I think that's basically, you know, you know, read that. Oh, my gosh. Horns. We got to read more on this. I think Kids it, are turning into the devil. I think this was an attempt to attract the common parent. Like, and like, who's going to read a medical journal report about protruding external occipital protuberances? No one, right? <laughs> <laughs> but horns on kids? Yes. Now you have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> the problem I have with it is not the fact that they did exactly that, because everybody wants to be read. Everyone wants their study yeah. to be. And and again, throw out a study saying we are seeing a, pro- a proliferation of external occipital protuberances, and not one story gets told about right. this. Yeah. At Maybe, and I'll. Maybe I'm giving the the authors of the report or the researchers a little too much credit. Maybe they're just super humorous people that wanted to have fun with this and said, hey, I have a great idea. Why don't we do it like this? And they all, you know, chuckle and then go about with their day. And and look, again, if if it is a horn, it's a horn. If if that's technically what it is, mm-hmm. then I guess that's... Maybe in medical terms it is. Well, even if it's not in medical terms, because right. again, no one knows what an external occipital protuberance is. So a horn, people can understand. Yeah, one of the first yeah. rules of journalism is try and... Don't use the lingo of whatever you're doing. Talk about it in people talk where they can get it. Exactly. But it really does. I mean, we see these stories all the time. Studies about this, studies about that. Mm -hmm. And it is so difficult to wade through and figure out if a study is. And I mean, I talk about studies on the show if they're really interesting. and, And if I can hopefully get the author on to at least defend it a little bit Mm -hmm. or, but man, I I, like this kind of thing just. I don't know. It was such a great story. And then you go, oh, it's really just a right. bone spur. And it's not even from the phone. It's from yeah. lifting your shoulder or something. I think for the most part with studies, especially these days, <clears throat> and whether or not it's because the media has paid a little more or a lot more attention to studies in general, because we're so concerned with our health and well-being, uh, is uh, I wonder if the listener or the reader uh, takes all these studies really with a grain of salt. Because how many studies have we heard or read about about chocolate or about wine or about red meat or about so vegetables? Now, which one are you talking about, though? That wine is good for you or wine is yeah, bad for exactly. you? exactly. That's what I mean. So, uh, you know, one day it says one thing and the next study says something completely different or a variation of, and it's like, I don't know if I want to believe any of this. I'm just going to continue to drink my wine. <laughs> and I'll enjoy it. It'll help the study right? go down. Exactly. I'll yeah. help with the horns too. Well, the next study I'm hoping is going to be that these cell phones are now causing tails as well. That's probably the, yeah, that's the next one. Turning our children into rats and some sort of lizards. Yes. So the study, in relation to this horned study. Yes. With uh, Which, by the way, if anyone's just use. tuning in, a study says kids are growing horns through the use of their cell phones, yes. which is... The follow-up, a colossal overstatement, but nonetheless, it got a (laughs) lot of attention. Yes. So any parent listening right now, realizing that every kid on the planet basically has a cell phone and is looking down at this phone, It's they got their two thumbs going at it, they know that horns are going to be developing (laughs) in the next couple of years, (laughs) you have to get your kids interested in chiropractic care or physical rehab. Because this is going to be the job of the future. Because everybody and anybody who has a cell phone is going to have some kind of neck or shoulder issue. And you're going to have clients up the wazoo clamoring to get into your clinic to be treated for their ailment. For their, well, and, and you know. Their as, cell phone induced As silly disease. as it sounds, you are not wrong. Like you're, it, it, yeah. it, it sounds ridiculous, but it's absolutely true. And I remember, and I've had this, not from the phone. I got a new laptop at work some years ago and had set it up on my desk and it was not the height of my old computer. It was down. And I remember after about the second day, (laughs) seriously, my, my shoulders and neck and back, and I couldn't figure out why I was in so much pain. And then I realized it was my posture looking down at my laptop and I had to find something to bring it up to eye level. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. So so that'll be, you're right. That'll be the next study. But, but I go back to this thing is, um, the idea that we get, and we do at times, get sucked into these studies. There was a guy that I had on the show some time ago who did a study on the studies. About really? which which studies you could actually follow and which studies you couldn't. And he acknowledged, who knows? Because of what you said a moment ago, you have a study that says 
I, I actually truthfully saw a study this week that says up to 48 cups of coffee a day is okay. <laughs> up to 48? I'm like, who, wow. who, te- who did that test? Tim Hortons is saying, bring me that study. Well, I'm looking at the person who's, who was the subject of that study, wow. or at least one of them saying, okay, either you have the world's biggest bladder or man, they just like fed you coffee in the bathroom and it was just literally coming through you as it, 48 cups of coffee. I would love to have been a researcher on that study. Well, it seems a little excessive. It seems a little stupid. Uh, I think we could have stopped at say 10 and well, said, okay, 10 is healthy. I'm, I'm thinking about this poor individual or a number of individuals who are at cup, you know, 38 <laughs> and 39 and, you know, getting up to 42 and 43 and they're thinking, this is still okay? Like another two, three, four cups You're, is still okay? Are you sure I'm not going to die? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I may not sleep for the next month. Wow. Uh, one time coming into work several years ago, I stopped at Starbucks and I... For reasons that I do not understand, never really thought it through, thought, you know what would be a good idea today? I'm kind of sleepy. I'm going to have a triple espresso. And I've had... And you were awake for seven days. I got to work, and Starbucks is more potent, I think, too. And all I could hear was... I could hear my heart beating in my ears. My whole body was vibrating. I did Well, it was a triple... 48 coffees. Wow. That's intense. But what kind of study is that? And then, so this guy who did the studies of all the different studies was saying, so you get the 48 cups is fine. Then you get the other study that comes out the next week saying one cup of coffee a day is going to give you cancer. We have no way to understand what studies are true or false. And the problem with that is that what's the end goal? What's the end result of that? We ignore them all. Totally. We don't, we, we, we listen to the ones that we like. Yeah. If you're a wine drinker and you can find a study that says if you can drink seven bottles a day, you will live forever. Yeah. I bet there's a lot of wine drinkers going, see, science, but got to buy the wine. Totally. I can see a, a husband and wife at home with this coffee study and the guy's on his eighth cup of the day and As the wife test. says, eight cups? Like, are you kidding me? And he says, well, I just heard a study on science. the radio saying 48 cups is good, so I got 40 more to go. Leave me alone. I see. Now, <laughs> what what happens if you decide to try and emulate or imitate or re- recreate this study at home? Yeah, I and go they, with the wine one, but not the coffee one. On a weekend, on a <laughs> <laughs> you got I some recovery time. Recovery time, at least. Uh, one of the problems that we have with this too now, being a little more serious about this, is that there was a time, and and I don't want to be an elitist and a and a snobby about this that only the media can possibly interpret studies for you. I'm not saying that. But Google, where everybody has access to raw information, does create this scenario where we can just throw anything out there, no matter what it is, and there is no filter. And again, some people are saying, good, the media shouldn't be the filter. They're not fair, they're biased. But at least there was some attempt, some of the time, to try and wade through what is and is not legitimate. Yes. Pre-internet was Would this have got any interest? Would this have got a story pre-internet? Probably Uh, not. Probably not. I'm just saying everyone has a PhD because they can go on the internet and Google something and say, oh, that's that's healthier, that's unhealthy. I mean, that's, I don't want to bring this up, but that's how the anti-vax movement really got its legs. So that someone went online, obviously off this now debunked autism, you know, study on, on vaccinations and started spreading this false information. Ever been on WebMD? I have. WebMD, I am convinced, and people can do the test on this one. If you go on because, oh, I've got a tickle in my throat. Right. Six clicks in, uh, you better call your doctor. You may have thoracic cancer. <laughs> yes, exactly. If you have a slightly sore ankle, oh, you better check with your doctor. You may have lower lumbar yeah. cancer. It gives you every possible scenario on the planet. But they all go to cancer. Eventually, every <laughs> That's you thing that you find on WebMD <laughs> always takes you to cancer. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is a court case in Ontario going on right now. And it's presenting an interesting situation. There are, uh, it involves a, uh, a sentencing as he's been convicted, but it, it involves possession of a loaded handgun, uh, a black man mm-hmm. in Ontario. And this has though led to human rights, people, um, ethnic organizations as they're being described to have standing at this sentencing somehow to argue that like the Gladue 
sentencing, which is now an indigenous thing where because of historic wrongdoings having been done to indigenous people, the judges should possibly try to give lean, more lenient sentences because they've had a difficult upbringing or right. whatever, that now courts should take into account those same matters when black people are in court. So you would have, hmm. if you have a difficult upbringing and you get convicted of a crime, that mm-hmm. you should get less than you would have otherwise. What do you think about that? So my first thought <clears throat> was, are only black people um, having difficulty being, uh, you know, that, the transition from children to adults? Are there no white people uh, or no uh, purple Asian, people, Asian, whatever the case whatever, is, yeah, yeah. Uh, having difficulties going from childhood to adulthood? Um, not all black homes have issues. Uh, not all Chinese homes or, or Caucasian homes have, have issues. So, you know, we're preaching equality in, in, in one sense. And in another sense, we're saying, okay, we can't be equal in this regard because of these certain circumstances. Uh, this is really ass backwards to me. Uh, Aboriginal and black people are disproportionately before the courts and jails courts have long noted. And so what they are trying to say here is that, then here's a quote from, who is this a quote from? Uh, I don't know who this is a quote from, but someone in the case, there are systemic and case specific factors that lessen your moral blameworthiness for this offense and soften the impact of general deterrence. See the part that that lessen the moral blameworthiness for the offense. And I want to get to your point in just a second about what about others. I get very concerned in our society, period. It doesn't matter what race, nationality, age, whatever. Mm -hmm. When we start changing the moral code based on whatever. And so if you, if I pull a gun on you and all of a sudden they say, but Scott, you had a difficult upbringing. You don't go, you don't face the same penalty. How are you, the victim, getting justice right. in this? And and I'm with you. Like, I, I, I read this and I think, if we, are we, if we were going to have a system where you say, all right, uh, anybody can bring in their background and say, look, here's where I've come from. This is right. why. Right. But we already do that. We already have pre-sentence hearings. Mm-hmm. We already have statements. People can make statements. The, yeah, the, the lawyers, statements, well, yeah. and the lawyers can argue for why there should be mitigating factors. That already exists. Right. I'm, I'm wildly uncomfortable with the idea of inserting race yes. into this as, a, as something above your circumstance. Yeah. Well, let me give you another you know, example that all women can use. If, if we want to go to race... You know, women in this case could easily say we've been under the thumb of men since the dawn of of time. Uh, My circumstances are different than that of a man. I should be treated differently. I should get a different sentence, yada, yada, yada. I think this this is a rabbit hole that we should not be going down. If you do a crime, there should be a certain set of parameters that here's the crime, here's the penalty options. And it should not be based on upbringing, race, sex, anything. Well, and again, to the point, you just, well, first of all, let me read one more quote. When it comes to black people, the sentencing seems to be consistently void of any consideration of that additional source of disadvantage they face. Means two things. One, if you come from a disadvantaged background, you are... You're allowed to be a criminal? (laughs) A... Or you're what? You're not intelligent enough yeah. to not be able to do it, or what? So, so does this also mean that again, black, white, Asian, whatever? That if you succeed, you should get extra bonus points exactly. for your for not falling into that. I, yeah, our society has been built, in my mind, on the theoretical, and I know it's not perfect. By no stretch is it perfect. Some of the things that people are saying here is true, that there have been systemic problems in the past. Mm -hmm. But on the theoretical belief that we are equal, to formalize something that says we're not, to me, is problematic. We should strive for that equality, not write it into our laws that say, oh, by the way, because you've made a mess of things before, we're going to write it in that there are now special groups that get special treatment. Yeah, yeah. before, you know, you didn't get a, sh- a fair shake as a child, 
so we're going to let you off a little easier because you robbed a bank. I mean, think of all the people who are have grown up in those disadvantaged homes, one-parent homes, or you know, in the sketchy part of towns, and they managed to find a road in which they could succeed in life. Um, as you said, should they be heralded? Yeah, but I mean, monetarily, or or, or if they're given, uh, you know, if they commit a crime somehow, whatever the case is, they should be. Uh, you know, shaking a bigger finger at. I mean, it just does not make any sense. How many times have we heard stories of victims of some kind of crime who talk about the trauma they face when the person who committed the crime either gets acquitted, although yep. we can't really say then they committed the crime, but right. you know what I mean, or when they get released now on parole or probation. And they're saying, you know, this person is now out of jail. I'm horrified. I have to lock, I, I've now got PTSD. Yep. or I've got, Getting re-victimized. Well, so now you talk about a bank robber or something else, and we say, well, because of your background, you don't have to serve as stringent a penalty. Does that not then penalize the victim who Mm -hmm. now didn't do anything wrong, may also have had a difficult background, and now, see, and this is the rabbit hole you're talking about, because now can the victim say, well, wait a second, I've had a difficult time with this. Mm Mm-hmm. My difficult time should usurp his difficult time or her difficult Whose difficult time is more than the other? And what if the victim also came from a troubled background and has just tried to overcome stuff? When we start to write, the word is not racism, because I think the argument here is trying to eliminate racism. But when we start to write special treatment for race-based things into our laws, man, it seems to me like we are walking down a really dangerous path yeah. and not just race. It could be sexual orientation. Yep. It could be gender. It could be anything. Ideally, we should be tr- striving for equal. If anything, our justice system in this country should be a little bit tougher. I don't want to say it should be American-like because there are several instances and there have been examples of this in the past where it's a, a little too uh, strong-handed. Uh, in terms of the penalties that, you know, certain individuals get. Uh, The fact of the matter is that I think we need a little bit more teeth to our justice system, but I'm all about the fairness. We can't be picking and choosing because of past experiences, um, you know, who should get what in in terms of a penalty. That's a very dangerous game. Well, we should have, in my mind, judges who take into consideration the backgrounds of people. If you are someone who has been beaten or if you have been sexually abused or whatever else. Right. I'm not saying that that should be ignored, but I'm with you. I don't believe that because you're black Mm -hmm. or because you're Asian or because you're Jewish or whatever, that you are therefore more prone to crime or more like to commit the apt there's some sort of aptitude or genetic or dna that says rick you're a black man therefore man you're you're probably going to commit a crime we got to give you a break that's that is that is racist exactly and this so the thing that we're saying is we're trying to avoid racism and how are we doing it by applying a racist prism (laughs) by saying you are incapable of not doing those things because Because you're you're black that to me is the we're now selling racism as the answer to racism. Yeah, it's an excuse, and it is—it's an inexcusable excuse because it's not something that I want to see in the justice system. Yeah, we, we judges and juries have to take in, uh, you know, into account past experiences, good, bad, and ugly that people have you know endured in their lives. But the fact of the matter is, it should not be the ultimate you know hammer in this situation. Yeah, because all. <sighs> I have long, now, my definition may not be everyone's definition, but my definition of racism is seeing things through the prism of color, Mm -hmm. where you can't see anything but the color. And it's why I believe that anybody can be racist no matter what color you are. I believe black people can be racist, white people can be racist, anyone. If everything you see is through the prism of color, to me, that makes you a racist. Mm -hmm. And if we're then going to apply that prism to our legal system that says, because you're black, we are going to be much more likely to consider you to be incapable of controlling yourself. Isn't that exactly the stuff that we've been trying to tell people? No, that's not true. You, we're not, see, if that's the truth 
or at least the truth that we want to create, mm-hmm. that you are incapable of controlling yourself because of your color, we should have racial profiling. Yeah. Because that would mean <laughs> that black men are more likely to commit crimes. Yeah. We don't want to do that. We're not, we're arguing against that. Yep. And then we're saying, but when, if they do something, you got to give them slack because yeah, they're here's, here's above the their blood. Yeah. I have a great story about, not necessarily racism, but it's, uh, I was out uh, for dinner with the family a few weeks back and my daughter, who does not have a racist bone in her body, she's the most inclusive person I've ever met. And she just turned 18 a couple of months ago. Uh, so we're at dinner uh, at a local restaurant up in the mountain. And uh, we had complained about something on the ma- Oh, my son ordered uh, wings. And they, they really, I mean, we all had a taste of it. We all agreed that, you know, what, they weren't really up to snuff. And we told the waitress, you know what, you know, we enjoyed the meal, but these wings were a little, yeah, you know, meh. And she said, no problem, I'll, I'll let the manager know he, he should be by. So I had ended up going to the washroom. And the manager had come by and, you know, apologized in the whole bit and I think took the, the dish off the, uh, off the bill. So I came back and my daughter explained. She's like, man, you should have seen the manager, a huge black guy. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, why don't you just say a huge guy, a huge man? Like, would you have said a huge white man? Probably not. And I don't think she she meant it that way, but I mean, that was the description that she offered to me. So I didn't really necessarily set her in her place, but I just thought, you know, that's, you don't really have to add the black. It's just a man. It's just a person. It's a human being. And he just happened to be a large individual. And he was. Um, so I know it's a little off tangent, but, uh, you know, in, in the, you know, a person who is... As I said, the most unracist person that I, I ever have met in my life and the most inclusive person, just for her to blurt that out was kind of intriguing. And she is not racist. But there, look, I, this is not an argument that there are not people out there who are. This is not an argument out there that there could not be judges who tr- judge black men or other right. groups more harshly. Of course there can be. And and I do believe probably that there have been black men who have done more time because because of the color of their skin. Right. But this is not the kind of thing I don't believe that you can write into our laws. That is just a a, a setup for abuse mm-hmm. and a setup for more problems down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any lawyer can stand before a judge and say, hey, my client who happens to be, you know, this color, uh, his past includes this, this, this and that. He grew up in a broken household in a bad part of town, wasn't given a fair shake his whole life. And this is why he committed this crime. So his penalty has to be, you know, a little more lenient than anything else you would hand to, you know, any other individual who doesn't have the same, you know, experience. Uh, As I said, that's a very dangerous game. You're on a slippery slope there. But see, in that case, I would say in an individual specific case, I would listen to that and I would say, but just But if you're going to write that into the criminal code now. But now to walk in and say, your honor. As you can see, my client is black, therefore we have to take 25% off right. a sentence. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. No, you are now asking for racism mm-hmm. to be applied. That's the opposite of what we want to do. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Here is one of the strangest stories, maybe, that I've seen in a month or two. In Norway, there is a small island called Sumarui. I think that's how you say it. It's got that <laughs> It's got that O with the diagonal line through it. And okay, I think yeah, it's a yeah. E, yeah. some sort of one of those Norwegian, Slavic, whatever, Swedish. Right. So um, they have declared themselves the first time-free zone. Mm-hmm. There are no clocks. Yep. Do whatever you want, whenever you want. We don't care. This is the place that has constant daylight from like May 26th yes. to July something or August something? The, yes, they are. So so they have the advantage where there is no day and night time right. right now. But how do you possibly make a society- With no time. Work where, with no concept of time where you're- So no longer do you say, what time do you want to meet for lunch? Right. Five o'clock. Well, no. I, yeah, when, it doesn't exist. When we- How do you even do that? How do you do that if you're a store? Like we're open all 24 the time. hours. Yeah. 
It's like, uh, that reminds me of that old Stephen Wright. Do you remember Stephen Wright? The really de- deadpan. Yes, yeah, yeah. And he said he went to the store one day. It uh, said open 24 hours. And as he walked up, the guy was just locking up. And he says, it says open 24 hours. And the guy says, not in a row. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. yes, you'd be open all the time. Yeah. I don't and, know how this would work. And do you not think, and one of the things, in the, the funny thing is, this is, um, this is from the independent, uh, sort of the Guardian. Hmm. The British paper, uh, the Norwegian island at abolished time. You can cut the lawn at 4 a.m. is the headline. If you're asleep and your neighbor pulls out the lawnmower at 4 a.m., I'm sorry, time or no time, yeah. you're not happy. I got a story here. 4.30 in the morning, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a week. Was it a weekend? I think it was a weekend. 4.30 in the morning on a weekend. My neighbor, who has six cars in his driveway, two of which have the muffler of all mufflers, revs up no. his vehicle just, and this is what he does at least once a week, changes the order of his vehicles in his driveway. He drives one to work. The other five are playthings. So at 4.30 on a weekend, he's rearranging the deck chairs, so to speak, and waking us all up. See, so <laughs> uh, that's that's almost justifiable homicide <laughs> on a weekend. That is almost it is yeah, it is pretty darn close. That is approaching those terms. Close. And our bedroom is right beside his driveway. So there you go. But I have, have, but back me, to the story. So, yes. it, I mean, <laughs> if you're a radio station, if you're a TV station, time is non-existent. So. Yeah, I can just, uh, I'm not sure how this would work in terms of scheduling. I'm a big organizational schedule, meeting times, things are happening in such and such a time person. And this is just living by, you know, carefree. The idea that. can't do it. Well, they're saying, here's a quote from them. Um, where'd it go? Uh, all over the world, people are characterized by stress and depression. That's accurate. So, and in many cases, this can be linked to the feeling of being trapped by the clock. So they're saying we are going to remove stress and depression. Right. If I no longer know when I'm supposed to meet someone, when I'm supposed to be at work, who's going to be at work, when I'm more stressed by that than mm-hmm. at least the, the, and I'm not the world's most organized person, but at least I have some concept of, okay, I got to be here at this time and I got to do this today. Right. So this community is not necessarily removing the days of the week. Because now I'm well, thinking about... It would have to. If there's no clock, you can't have a week. You can't have a calendar. Can't have, you, Yeah. You can't. I'm just thinking about garbage collection. When do I put my garbage out? You put it out and they'll well, come whenever, whenever they, they decide come. to come. But then again, is anybody showing up for work? Because what time you're supposed to be there? What makes this even more bonkers is that these people presumably are not cutting themselves off entirely from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm which does still have clocks. How do you not right. have a clock? How do you not run on some sort of time schedule? It's an island of 350 residents that are doing this experiment. But if you've got 350 people, is there a doctor on the island? I don't know. Is there a grocery store on the island? Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. So you need a doctor's appointment. I'm sorry, doctor, I can't give you, I don't understand time. I right. don't do time. Well, right. you better do time or else I'm not, you're not going to get in to see the doctor. You know what's going to happen is this community is going to miss Christmas. Because they have no concept of time anymore. All of a sudden, it's December 28th, and the kids are going to be like, wait a minute, we just missed Christmas. <laughs> well, who knows if there's any kids? Uh, although children will still have to go to school. Well, how do you know when what school What time do they got to be there? There is no time. You when just you, show when up. When you wake up. <laughs> you know, this to me is one of those hilariously... Brilliant examples of the strive for utopian whatever, that it'll be perfect. It'll be wonderful until you actually say, well, how does this then work? And you go, well, uh, I don't know. They're trying to get the best of both worlds, and this is an impossibility. I can't see it working. There have been other places that have talked about trying this. Now, we haven't seen this here. This would be... This would be very funny, actually, to do it. Like specific, I'm thinking specifically of CHML. That I when is your show on? Anytime. Scott Thompson's on the air. I walk in and go, hey, out of here. It's my it's turn. It's my turn. I, it's my show time. <laughs> well, wait a sec. No, I'm on. No, no, no. It's, uh, yeah. There's no time. Yeah, there's no time. I'll grab the second mic. We'll just talk simultaneously. <laughs> there you go. When's Bill coming in? We don't know. Yeah. 
When's news? Mm. Whenever. When we decide there's news. That would when be we great, feel like actually, it. to tell you. To tell you the truth. I could just put my feet up, maybe do a cast every 90 minutes, even though I wouldn't be counting the time. Who would know when it is? Yeah. Who would know when it is? Maybe you, once you, a day. You really couldn't have weather and traffic on the nines. <laughs> no. No. It's weather and traffic on the... Wow. Our society would just... Could you imagine... Man. I mean, think it, it, it is it is brain bending, and I've been trying to do this. It is really brain bending mm-hmm. to try and imagine eliminating the idea of time from our society yeah. and how it would. And I again, I maybe I'm the only one, but it seems to me that it would cause way more stress than eliminating stress. Yeah, we're so, I think, conditioned to, especially nowadays. <clears throat> to being places at a certain time, getting up at a certain time, you know, your work schedules, your home schedules, you know, your kids' schedules, everything is predicated on doing something at a certain time. You know, you cut the grass on the weekend or you got to get up at a certain time to go to work for a certain time and you have lunch at a certain time and dinner and yada, yada, yada. Uh, man, this, yeah, this is chaos. Think of, uh, you've been on a vacation somewhere and that's the one place where we say, oh, well, look how relaxing yeah. it is. I go yeah. away on vacation. There's no clock. I put down my phone. I put down my watch. But there's still a clock. There is still dinner between, yeah. now it may be between five and eight. So right. you're, you've got a loose schedule, but there's still a time. Mm-hmm. Just the idea, and and the idea that, and plus, I mean, could you imagine if everybody took all their vacation them <laughs> yeah. And tried to live that every single day. Wow. We wouldn't want to be on this planet. I wonder how long I could last just forgetting about time. Like if I took a I one bet- month vacation, how long would I last before, you know, I looked at the clock to figure out what I had to do? Well, first of all, we wouldn't be doing it right now because in about the next three minutes we have to go to a break. Right. So Donna would be coming in here and strangling me to tell me to get off because we got to get commercials in there. So that would be the first thing. So on this particular show, we yes. can't really do it. Okay. But you're right. I, I would bet you that if we were to do an experiment, in fact, anybody who's listening right now, try and do this this weekend. Hmm. Not look at the time? See how long you can go before there is something that you are doing or have to do or want to do. Yeah. That involves you being or doing something at a particular time. Right. It's impossible. You will, I'm convinced you will not go five minutes. And that five sounds ridiculous. Minutes, eh? Wow. Well, you know what? 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 I got to, the NHL draft is yeah. on tonight. I yeah, got to yeah. see that. Or a show is on. Or yeah. I got to go visit my friend. Or I got to talk to, maybe not five, maybe 15. 15, I bet, would be the longest you would go without looking at a clock, I'm being aware of the time. I'm going to try it out this weekend. Try it out and see how long you can probably go a good, yeah. Without any reminder of time. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's almost impossible. How many times are you in your house and you just happen to look at the clock just to see what time is it? You know, should I be doing something now? Is my favorite TV show coming up in five minutes? We're staring at our phones all the time. They have time on the phones. It's nonstop. Yeah. It is nonstop. I don't, uh, I don't know how you would possibly do it. By the way, where did the time go? Ba-boom. <laughs> These Norwegians, I'm telling you. Eat the pickled herring and avoid time and you live in a glorious life. And talking about those words with the O and the diagonal yes. line through it, however you pronounce Norwegian that. Norwegian version of the accent of goo. Mm. Yes. All right. You know who's going to be happy about this is the caribou because now there's no like hunting season. Yeah, I can and see And if that. you can't have a season to save the caribou, yes. then you can't hunt ever because so, so this would seem to be a way to save the caribou. They're going to be thrilled about this. <laughs> or maybe they're reindeer there. I'm not sure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Rick, as we bring it home this evening, I've waited for the oddest story of the week, the story that I think is the craziest story of the week. Okay. And it just happens to be perfect because uh, you're a sports guy. And it's this story that came out this week that the Tampa Bay Rays are wanting to split time with the Montreal Expos mm-hmm. and have one baseball team playing in two cities simultaneously yeah. as the, what, Tampa Montreal X-Rays? Right. That's what I want to call them, the yes. X-Rays. Great name. <laughs> so, the, But the good name is where it ends. Because yes. to me, this seems maybe like the stupidest idea anyone's ever had. That's almost a headline I have in my blog today when I wrote about this at 900CHML.com. Listen, if you're a Montreal Expos fan 
or you live in Montreal and you want to see baseball back, uh, I think this is a good story because Montreal's back on the front burner. MLB, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, is talking about it. Tampa Bay, at least, you know, the principal owner, Stu Sternberg, is kind of hinting that, you know, Montreal would be a great option or half option, I guess, for his team because it would be, you know, a split season. They'd play the first half of the season in Tampa and the second half in Montreal. So if you're a, an Expos fan, okay, you're, you're back in the news. You're back on the front page, which is good. But the fact of the matter is there are so many hurdles in this scenario, it's not even funny. The first of which is Tampa Bay, or at least the Rays, have a lease deal with Tampa Bay St. Pete's that runs for another eight years. 2027 is when their lease expires at Tropicana Field, which is the most horrendous Depressing. Facility. I won't even say ballpark. Facility uh, in in the history of humankind. I mean, it's horrible. It looks like a cannery. Yes. Inside. It's got the right, that same amount of lighting. <laughs> it's horrible. And um, they average 14,000 and change. They are 29th out of 30 teams. The Miami Marlins are 30th. They have a new stadium or a newish stadium. It was built in 2012. Uh, and they just stink. That's why they can't draw any fans either. But a month ago, when the Rays were playing the Jays, they drew just over 5,000, an all-time low for Tampa Bay. So the first hurdle is the lease. Uh, the biggest issue in this whole story is the ownership group of the Rays want a new stadium. And clearly, they need a new stadium because fans are just not showing up because the team is pretty darn good. They're over 500. They're in the playoff hunt. Um they have some marquee names on the team, but the stadium just stinks. So nobody wants to go. But and don't you don't you get the sense though that Tampa's the real play here is you throw you do what Hamilton has been this forever in the NHL. Mm-hmm. If you don't give us a new stadium, we're going to Montreal. Right. Uh, to me, this whole thing is Tampa just trying to flex its muscles to yes. get a new stadium. Yep, exactly, a hundred percent. This is this is the ownership group saying, you know, if we don't get a new stadium, we're going to Montreal or somewhere else. But easier said than done because unless, you know, the the city's willing to say, okay, this lease deal is null and void, we'll rip it up, uh, you know, the team's not going anywhere. So they can huff and puff and do whatever they want. <clears throat> the real question is whether Major League Baseball is going to get involved and say, okay, Tampa Bay, we'll help you out in this regard. We'll cover some of these costs to break this lease or tweak the lease, and you can play some games in Montreal. But that brings up another hurdle. Can they play in the Big O? Because no. there's going to have to be millions of dollars in improvements to Olympic Stadium for a major league baseball uh, you can't team to play for half a year. Yeah, the Jays can play one or two games in the exhibition season. But but th- when the Jays play in the exhibition season, they don't even play their good players because the, f- the field is so, so bad, you don't yeah. want to hurt them. Exactly. So you can't... No, you would have to... Montreal would have to be building a new stadium. Yes. Probably 30,000 seats or something like yep. that in the downtown, which today... Even if it was at a low, not fancy, not glitzy, would be three hundred million, four hundred million, yeah. probably. And is Montreal? Is anybody in Montreal going to do that without a guarantee that that team is there full time? Exactly. Or that they're not being used? Look, there is a hockey arena right now in Quebec City yeah. that they were kind of told again, like Hamilton, hey, if you build a new arena, team's going to come. And guess what? It's now sitting there <laughs> vacant, still waiting. And meantime, Seattle has an expansion team. And then you turn around, so now you've got Montreal with a stadium that's only going to be used for half the year and maybe can get it. And then you tell the people in Tampa, oh, by the way, the team is only going to play here half the year. Well, Montreal might be excited at first about it, but all of a sudden everybody in Tampa goes, well, why am I going? So now you have nobody there, literally nobody, for your first half of your year. Because they're there for the non-exciting part of the year. The yeah. second half of yeah. the season after the All-Star break is when things heat up. You're in the playoff race. Uh, you know, teams are sliding. You're making a charge, whatever the case is. You want to go to the ballpark to cheer on your team. Come playoff time, do they go back to Tampa Bay? Do they play a game in Tampa and a game in Montreal? It's Like, how does how does Tampa Bay... You've been, have you ever been to Tampa? I have not. I've okay. been to Miami, but I haven't been right. to Tampa. Well, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. I'm sure it is. How does a city that beautiful find a stadium... <laughs> With a dome. <laughs> With a dome that looks dark, that yeah. looks like it could be a garage. If you, like, I know Miami is what it is because the team has been, with a couple of exceptions where they peak for a year and, and they win they a world championship. Players. But they generally stink. Tampa's had a, generally a pretty good team over yeah. the years, but they're in such a horrible, if you're living in Tampa, 
in a beautiful, beautiful place, it seems to me the last place you would want to go is into a place like that. I'm sure it's nice and cool well, because of the AC, but man alive. It's just the worst stadium on the planet. Except for the Big O. The two, of the, the two of them might be know. one and one A. Yeah, that'd, that'd be an interesting. Uh, so now you're going to have vote. a team for the first <laughs> the, year the two or two. Worst stadiums. Yes, we're yeah. going to. Uh, oh, that that'll be a good pitch to the free agents too. Oh, yeah, you don't have to play all your games in Tampa Bay's horrible yeah. stadium. Oh, really? Where are we going? The Big O. Yeah. Oh, yeah. here's another thing to think about, <clears throat> and especially if you're a veteran, and a lot of veterans obviously are married, have kids. So now you're asking these families to split their time between the two cities. Not only that. You gotta have two administrative staffs. You gotta have two. I'm, I'm assuming two marketing departments. So now, now this franchise, Tampa Bay, who's not drawing anything, has to spend more money just because they're moving for at least half a season to another to another city. Why not do? Well, who was the team? Was it Toronto? Who played in Puerto Rico for a few games at one point? That was Montreal. They played, I believe, twenty some odd games oh, okay. in Puerto Rico at the in their last two seasons of existence as the Expos. Maybe the right the real answer here is Mexico. Well. I was going to say that there are enough stadia out there, uh, college or whatever, of fifteen to 20,000 minor league. Have mm-hmm. one team in the league as a barnstorming team. Mm-hmm. Every other team has a city, and you are the rest of the world's you're, team. You're the barnstormer. So you play a couple series in Mexico, <laughs> and a couple in Idaho, yeah. and a few in Iowa, and a few in North Dakota, and wherever. Right. Now every, everyone else has their team for a few games. Or you don't have no home venue at all, and you're just... On the you're, road. You're, yeah, on the road all the time. Wow, that would be a draw for free agents. Yikes. <sighs> Sounds a little bit like what was going to happen when the... Who was it who was going to build a new stadium and the, Hamilton was going to have an NHL team for a year or so when we uh, tied them over? Yeah, that would have been a real good thing, yeah. too. Is, <laughs> yeah, Hamilton, we're, we're here to be dumped on. Yes. Come, please step on our heads as often as possible, <laughs> NHL. We love it when you do that to us. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.